Okay, everybody, welcome to uh, Linux in the Ham Shack. My name is Richard, KB5JBV, and uh, I am one of the hosts of this magnificent extravaganza. The other is my buddy Russ up there in Arkansas. Say hello to everybody, Russ. Uh, hello to everybody, Russ. Uh, and even those who are not Russ, y'all may be uh, may be invited also. We'll have to, uh, jury's still out on that. This week, we're going to move forward in our... Uh, set of programs getting everybody up to speed on the linux side of linux and ham shack but before that i think we're going to move on to uh some of the feedback we've received this week uh, it's been overwhelmingly positive so uh apparently nobody that knows what they're doing has been listening to us so what have we got as far as feedback russ actually we have um what i would consider quite a bit of feedback for an episode that really had no content to speak of. I'll tell you right now, I've been pimping it on resonant frequency and uh, made a few mentions of it over on Twitter. And uh, I'm, I know there's a, quite a few people that were waiting for it to come along, but I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Oh, that's all right. The first feedback or bit of feedback we should probably address is the one from uh, Jerry, um, who posted on the Linux in the Hamshack website. He posted a comment which was a favorable comment. You know, he appreciated the show and everything, and then sort of uh, gave us a little lecture on the word Ubuntu. You and I are both sort of on the same page on this, and if you go to any podcast out there or listen to anyone talk about Ubuntu, they don't say Ubuntu. They say Ubuntu. And, you know, it's it's all well and good to have to properly pronounce it, but I'm not African, I'm not from Africa, and I'm probably going to say Ubuntu. That's the thing also. I listen to a lot of Linux programs, and uh, uh, yes, I understand that the proper pronunciation of the word is Ubuntu, which uh, I think means human in Swahili or some, something. But we tend to Americanize words here in the good old U.S. of A., and uh, if we start pronouncing every word the way it's pronounced in its native language, then we don't know when it's going to stop. <laughs> However, at this point, I've decided to start pronouncing it. Start pronouncing it. Uh, Ubuntu. <laughs> uh, when y'all hear me call it Ubuntu, we know that we've Americanized it completely. No, we're, we're going to continue with Ubuntu because that's what that's what I call it. Uh, if we if we have to worry about calling it something else, we'll either call it Susa, Susie, or Seuss. <laughs> okay, so we got uh, some feedback. Uh, another bit of feedback from Stephen uh, K9ZW uh, from Wisconsin, and he uh, posted on his blog called "With Varying Frequency," K9ZW.wordpress.com, um, and his comment was that um, he didn't get an advanced copy, but he's sure it would be good. <laughs> well, um, our feedback has sort of indicated that everything is good, and we do appreciate the mention. We definitely seem to be getting out there pretty quickly. I know our feedback, which we'll continue to talk about here for a minute, has gone uh, pretty much coast to coast. Thank you very much, Steve, and um, we hope that things get better with time. Well, we also have a comment from Steve uh, K9ZW on the Linux and Hamshack website under episode one that says, congratulations on your first podcast of a series that has many of us very interested. When will the iTunes feed come alive? Looking forward to setting this up as an automatic download. 73, uh, Steve K9ZW. Well, Steve, I can guarantee you the iTunes feed is active because uh, a day or two after we initially posted the uh, posted it on the website, I went ahead and plugged it into iTunes and it downloaded flawlessly. So uh, we're good to go there. All right. Uh, so some additional feedback we've got here. Um, another post on the Linux in the Hamshack website from KD5NJR. That's Ken in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. He says, um, I'm ready with an old PC, uh, Celeron 500, 128 megs of RAM, to play along at home. Uh, it's running DSL and uh, with a live CD, and he's also got a Minix 3 CD. And it was looking forward to future episodes. 
Well, thank you very much, Ken, for that. And um, while we're not going to address Minix here, um, that's um, sort of a, a Linux distribution for the really old computers. You can actually run uh, Minix on a 286. So if you've got some antique hardware out there, um, you can probably get some of this um, software to run, although uh, you know we're not going to address it specifically. What we're uh, trying to do, for the most part, with this podcast, at least initially, is uh, it was getting to the point that I was getting further into uh, uh, Linux as far as my amateur radio stuff, and it was starting to show over at the other podcast, Resonant Frequency, and we decided it was a good idea to do a separate one. And considering we have a lot of folks that are interested in moving over to Linux, and they're moving over from Windows or even Apple, because they can pick up uh, less expensive hardware or older hardware that they can use in the Radio Shack and not have to tie up their main machine. Uh, we're going to try and point towards the easiest to get going and running uh, versions of Linux. Uh, as far as Minix is, is concerned, at some point in the future, we may be able to get around to that as a side. But as it stands now, uh, we're going to try and concentrate on some of the easiest stuff to set up. All right. Well, I think we're on a roll here, so we'll keep going. We also got um, a bit of specific feedback from uh, John KO4RB um, from Cleveland, Georgia. Well, first of all, he said, uh, you know, congratulations on the first first podcast. So that, you know, always, always good to start out with. But he had a specific piece of, uh, or a request, really, where he wanted us to talk about PSK31 under Linux with a Signalink uh, USB audio interface. And that is definitely a topic we will get to. I'm not sure, you know, based on the fact that this is episode number two, when we're going to get to that, but we definitely will. Um, I'm sure well, there are a lot of people who are probably interested in that particular setup. When we get to the PSK31 and mo more specifically some of the digital modes, uh, yes, we will uh, examine interfaces that will work with the Linux operating system. Uh, I recently posted a uh, recently posted an article over at Black Sparrow Media. Well, not real recently about the Signalink uh, interface. I myself use. Uh, Rascal GLX that I purchased at Buckscom really uh, inexpensively. And I mean, even the rig runner, we'll talk about the rig runner a little bit, but, and I understand you guys are, are ready to get going on this thing, but once again, we want to get everybody up to speed. So we're all at the same level. Y'all please just bear with us till we get there. I only had one other bit of feedback, which came in from Andrew uh, KB1OIQ from Chelmsford, Massachusetts, uh, who basically just said that he was looking forward to the show, that uh, the website has potential, and that he has been an exclusive Linux user for more than 10 years. Well, that will definitely be a good foundation for this, and he might actually be able to tell us a thing or two. So <laughs> it's okay. We'll drag him on the show kicking and screaming if we have to. And, uh, I expect all you guys have been using Linux for a while. If we run up on a problem, in fact, there are some things you guys can help us out with because, uh, I myself am a fairly, I consider myself a fairly new Linux user. I've, I've been using it five, four or five years now, but I really haven't got into it hardcore. Uh, Russ has considerably more experience, but there's stuff on the radio side that he may need help with also. And, the fact of the matter is, this show is for y'all. Tell us what you need and help us out when you can, and we're going to have an outstanding, outstanding show for whoever accidentally stumbles across us. Also, uh, one of the things we are looking forward to in a future episode is Packet, and uh, I have had very little success with, uh, very little success with Packet. Uh, on the Linux side. Uh, that's one of the reasons I still have a Windows or two machine in the shack is because uh, I was running Winlink 2000, 2000 station, had to have uh, Windows to run it. I understand there's compatible software on the Linux side. It used to be a real pain in the butt to set up packet, but we're going to get around to that. Something, something else we have as far as feedback. Let me uh, let me go ahead and run through this real quick, and uh, we'll, we'll throw it on down. This comes from uh, NT7S's blog. 
which is apparently called Ripples in the Ether. We're going to have to start putting some of these blogs up on a on a link uh, link list over on the website. I think. Let me go ahead and read this. It says, uh, "You got your Linux in my ham shack." No, you got your ham shack in my Linux. I've been grumbling to myself about a lack of active ham radio podcasts. Sorry, but the usual generic ham radio news shows don't count as podcasts in my book. Lo and behold, I see that KB5JBV and K5TUX have just launched a new podcast, Linux in the Ham Shack. This is right up my alley. The first episode just dropped tonight, and I'm excited to see where the podcast goes in the future in future episodes. This first one is mostly an introduction, so there's not a lot of meat in it, but I'm sure that will be remedied by episode two. If you run a Linux box in your shack, or even use open source like Firefox, I recommend that you subscribe to this podcast feed. Let's support these guys in a worthwhile effort. Well, thank you very much, and uh, uh, we are darn sure going to do it. Well, that was definitely a very nice uh, blog entry there from Jason NT7S, and um, he also left some feedback on the Linux in the Hamshack website, and I know you've got that queued up on your side, Richard, so I'll go ahead and let you read that one as well, since we're talking about NT7S, and then we'll... Move on to some more feedback. Great start, guys. I really psyched to hear your next episode. I've moved most of my PCs over to Ubuntu, starting with the box in the shack. Here's a suggestion for a future topic, FL Digi. Lately, I've been playing with uh, Digi modes on HF using FL Digi, which has rig control via the homebrew CI-V <laughs> cat cable uh, level converter to my IC718 fun stuff and a great bit of software 73DE NT7Z well uh, let me tell you NT7Z um, I plan on uh, hooking the cat cable up on my FT897 and uh, we're seeing how well the cat control works on it the uh, uh, computer-aided tuning control cable, and uh, I've been using uh, GMFSK, but being able to have rig control also would be a great benefit. So, uh, yes, we will be getting to FL Digi because it's not only available in Linux, it is available on the Windows platform, I found out the other day. I want you all to know I'm looking out there. Y'all can't, y'all can't post a single word about Linux in the ham shack that I don't see because I have my secret ways. Well, now that I've taken a look down the list, it looks like we've uh, pretty much run through the feedback for this week. So where do we go from here? My suggestion would be uh, y'all just hang loose a few minutes. We're going to take a short, short break, and then we'll get into the meat of the subject. We're going to talk about uh, picking an operating system here in just a few minutes.
We're back. You gotta love that music, man. It's starting to grow on me. Uh, okay, uh, we're gonna start off here talking about some of the uh, easier uh, versions of Linux. It's like we've said before that uh, you know it's all the same underneath, underneath the hood, and different distributions have different tools and that kind of stuff. And uh, we want to run over a few of some of the easier ones to get up and going. Uh, for the most part, if you're moving over from another operating system to the Linux operating system. And I'm going to let Russ take this away because he's got way more smarts about this stuff than I do. One one thing we talked about in episode one is that we were going to sort of focus on Debian-based distributions. I actually sort of want to start off with a different distribution, um, not um, not Debian based. And the only reason I want to start off with this one is because I've uh, played with it a little bit. In fact, you know, just a couple of hours before we're talking right now. And as far as getting this thing up and running to a point where you can uh, actually use your hardware and get your rig connected and start using a Linux distribution, this thing is quick. <laughs> Um, it's a it's a distribution called Digipup. It's based on Puppy Linux. It's one that I hadn't actually heard of until I started you know digging around a little bit on the internet. And thanks to Google, it sort of came up. Now there's um, there's a bit of a caveat with this one because it's not in active development. It's not being supported. So this is one for you guys who really like to sort of get your hands in and aren't worried about. Uh, not having any support or anything like that because you're not going to get any. One of the things y'all need to look at at Digipup is yes, it uh, it's kind of in production. It's, it's kind of not in production. Uh, I was looking earlier today that uh, Puppy Linux is still chugging away out there, but uh, Digipup is kind of resting for a while. But one of the things uh, we were asked about earlier in the email was FL Digi. Uh, FL Digi is a package that does come in the uh, Digipup uh, ISO. So uh, this is a, a light, fast operating system, guys. It's it's small. It's very small. Yeah, it, it is, in fact, very small. The download for the ISO that I got, which is the bootable version, and Digipup actually only has a bootable version. It's a live CD which means you can run it on your system without uninstalling or installing over what you already have. Uh, the distribution's only about 55 megs for a download, and that's the whole thing. So it's uh, very lightweight, and when you throw it in your disk drive and power up your system, it's very fast. And as long as you have some hardware that's not too antique and not too obscure, it's pretty much going to detect everything, fire right up, give you a desktop, and you're going to be ready to go. Basically, it comes with a lot of um, amateur radio software already installed on it, and it's basically right on the desktop so that you have immediate access to things like FL Digi, um, FL Logbook, uh, the Geoid application, and a lot of the stuff that was written by um, Dave Fries, W1HKJ. In fact, Digipup itself, the entire distribution, is a derivative of Puppy Linux, but the whole thing was assembled by, by Dave and put out as a you know, ready-to-go live CD, get up and running, and, and off you run. Yeah, and I'm sitting here, actually, as we're recording this, I'm sitting here looking at uh, Dave's website. Uh, the only place I was able to find on the web to download a copy of it and let me go ahead and give that to y'all real quick. That's www.w1hkj.com stroke flpuppy.html. And if you're looking at his page, uh, you scroll down a little bit, and it'll show the latest version of Digipup, which is 1.34. Uh, there's U.S. version and what appears to be a Spanish version of that so that y'all can uh, download it and burn it to an ISO. And that's probably something we need to cover is burning these uh, things to an ISO. But uh, we'll either get to that a little later in this or it'll pop up in the next podcast. Russ is correct because what's listed on the page here is uh, FL Digi 1.34, FL Logbook 2.3, and Geoid 1.10. Like I said, guys, it's, it's small. It's fast. 
It's my understanding it will run on older hardware. Okay, it says it does use HamLive, which there ought to be some sort of rig control under FL Digi. Also, Kachina Cat, which is also a rig control program. But for you guys that are a little more advanced, if you need to run something on an older piece of equipment, y'all could probably go out and find uh, some of the other am- amateur radio applications and compile them to run on this particular piece of software if you decide to go with an install. Uh, one one other thing that I noticed, well, there's a couple other things about this distribution that are kind of interesting to me, at least as um is uh, one thing is if you have a piece of hardware that can do it and you know how, and if you don't, we'll probably get to this a little bit later, you can actually boot this distribution from a thumb drive. You can also run it as a live CD inside a virtual machine, and I think we'll probably should talk about virtual machines a little bit too because that's another way to sort of uh, do things without having to overwrite stuff you're already using just sort of to get a feel and everything. And I also found somewhere, probably on the website, that the you can run this distribution on hardware as old as a regular Pentium, like a 100 megahertz Pentium with 32 megs of RAM. So that's very lightweight, very fast, and uh, you can run it on pretty much anything you'd have on hand. And I'm not real sure what the uh, what the GUI, the uh, front end on this thing is, the uh, user interface. But the fact of the matter is, it doesn't look a whole lot different than some of the older versions of Windows, and is pretty easy to navigate. The buttons are all in the right place, and it should be fairly easy to use. I played with it for a little while, and it's uh, pretty easy to navigate, even if you I put on my Windows hat and uh, move through it as a Windows user. It has two X servers built in. You can use XVisa, which is um, small, fast, and supports pretty much all basic VGA hardware. And it also uses XORG, which is the newer, heavier version of X Windows. And it comes with two window managers. I think one of them was the uh, FV, FVWM95, and the other one is uh, JWM. And you can pick which one of those you want to use um, all of these things are underneath the menu it's just, it's got a menu just like a start button on windows you pop that open it's got a lot of different wizards that kind of walk you through stuff that might be a little less intuitive so it's very easy to use and it's um i actually um saw that it comes with um you know a browser and a email client and everything else too so apart from being a ham radio distribution you can also use it as a lightweight linux distribution just to play around with it and something else you know y'all can consider also is that if you do decide to go with an install on an old piece of hardware uh puppy linux itself is up to version point 4.1 at this time so uh as we get to uh, installing software and stuff, if you decide you want something light and easy to use, uh, Digipup is it. All right, next, um, well, let's um, let, let's go right to the heart of the matter and talk about Debian. I would recommend that anyone who wants to start out with Debian use um, Debian Lenny or the testing version. Um, right now, there are sort of three Debian distributions which are out there. One is the stable version, one is the testing version, and one is called the unstable version. The unstable version is not really that unstable. It can have problems. There are updates to the unstable distribution that come down pretty much on a daily basis. And I've had some situations in the past where a, you know a download from the repository will actually pretty well mess up your distribution. If you don't want to do an install and have your computer accidentally hose up sometime, uh, don't use the unstable distribution. The only payoff for using unstable is that you can use some of the latest and greatest software that's out there that may or may not be included in the testing distribution. Testing is sort of a nice trade-off between stability and access to applications. And unlike Windows, y'all, uh, these uh, distributions any that you choose and we're just uh, focusing on some of the easiest that are some that are the easiest to get set up and running um most of these distributions out there when they're uh 
in the middle of an unstable release or at, at the alpha stage, they're not any worse than any distribution of Microsoft Windows when it comes out. They don't say that one is stable until it is rock hard stable. And for those of y'all that have used Windows 98 and waited for a SE to come out before things started working right or have used XP and had to wait till Service Pack 2 came out for it to run right, uh, 99.9% .9 of the time when a Debian distribution or uh, when a uh, Linux distribution comes out, it is rock solid and uh, not going to give you any problems. The other, the thing about uh, Debian is, you know, I'm a big Debian fan myself. I think it may be the one of the few on the list that we're talking about tonight that can't does not have a live CD associated with it. That may have changed since the last time I tried to use it, but it will run on uh, all sorts of different machines, including old uh, PowerPC Apple machines and Spark machines, if y'all have any of those around. It's rock solid. It's Like I said, Debian is my preferred distribution. Uh, unfortunately, I've always had a little trouble running it on machines with AMD processors. Uh, for some reason, uh, it can't find the uh, network card on the uh, AMD machines I have at this time. There is a project out there for a Debian Live CD for anyone who might be sort of interested in that. I will um, I'll put that uh, link in the show notes, um, but it is debian-live.aliothdebian.org if someone wants to try out um, a live version of Debian. You know, you sort of brought up the the thing about Debian that makes it the most interesting other than the fact that it's sort of the base distribution that some of the other things we're going to talk about are, you know, um, are built on Debian. But the fact that Debian itself can actually run on lots of different architectures. You can run it on a, you know, you can run it on the old Spark machines. You can actually run it on a um, PPC Apple, you know, before Apple switched over to Intel. You could run it on those, and of course, you can run it on the Intel-based apples as well, and lots of other things, even uh, embedded systems and like that. I I don't think that's probably going to be an application anyone who's listening to this is going to be using, but it can be done. And Debian currently has over eighteen thousand different software applications in its uh, standard repositories, and the Ham Radio and ham live based applications are part of those so you'll have if you use debian or distributions that are based on debian you'll have immediate access to all of the applications all of the linux applications um that are ham radio based yeah and that's one of the reasons we're focusing on debian based uh uh, versions of Linux at this point is when we were setting the program up in, in the initial initial stages of looking into what we were going to do as far as Linux and the ham shack, I went over to DistroWatch, which is a good, uh, good tool for y'all. So uh, y'all try and get over to www.distrowatch.com and look around. But I went ahead and looked at the top five distributions for that particular week, the uh, ones that seemed to be in the top five over at DistroWatch, three of them were Debian-based. The other two were Red Hat-based. And uh, the the Debian-based ones, I downloaded all five as a live CD, or I knew Debian already had it. I downloaded the other four as a live CD and looked in their repositories, and the only ones that still had amateur radio software in the repositories were the Debian-based systems. And that's why we're focusing on those. Plus, a lot of them have really come up to speed. They're easy to install. They're easy to use. And converting from... Apple and Windows is really not difficult at all. I got in right on the edge of uh, it still being kind of, you had to really kind of rework your way of thinking to use Linux. But nowadays, I said I could put my wife on it and she would have no problem at all. You know, because Debian is sort of the core distribution, I'm not sure there's really much more to say about it. It is, you know, there is a live CD version, but typically you'll have to install it. One thing about De the Debian installer, at least the testing version of the installer, is it allows you to, um, if you have a, a second hard drive or some extra hard drive space, it makes it very easy to install side-by-side -side with a Windows distribution 
or something you already have on your PC if you don't necessarily want to break out a new computer or completely overwrite what you've already got. All right, well, next we might as well talk about, I think, what has become Debian's most popular spin-off, which will be Ubuntu. Right now, uh, I'm using Ubuntu 8.04 LTS, which is uh, the current release version. And I guess I just saw on their website that 8.10 is uh, on the way out soon if it hasn't come out already. Um, but that's the current version. Any version after version 6 or, you know, from 6 on is still supported right now. So that's, uh, you know, any version up to there is good. Ubuntu is another, um, you know, installed distribution, um, although there is Ubuntu Live. And typically the way Ubuntu works is you install, you, you put in your Ubuntu Live CD, you download it, burn the ISO, start it up, play around with it if you like it. You can install it right from the live CD. So the CD you get is actually both. And one of the things I really like about Ubuntu is, the, I'm sorry, Ubuntu. The thing I really like about Ubuntu is that, that was mean, wasn't it? Is that the uh, release cycle is fairly consistent with them. They release just about every six months, five to six months. You get a new version and it is stable. Sometimes long-term releases are a little bit buggy, but those only happen about every fifth uh, release. Uh, when we talk about release cycle, we're talking about the time between XP, the release of XP and Vista. This is the release cycle. The time between uh, Windows 98 and Windows 2000 was the release cycle. So when we're talking about that, uh, Debian has a, uh, considerably longer release cycle than others, but it is rock solid when it comes out. Ubuntu, on the other hand, comes out every six months without fail, and that's the reason for the version version numbers. The uh, uh, we're currently in eight point zero four, which came out uh, in April of uh, two thousand eight. The next one will be uh, eight point one zero, which will be in October this month. We ought to have it by the end of the month. And I really can't say there are some things about Ubuntu that just kind of chap me because I came from uh, Debian. But it's things that when you stop and think about them, makes a lot of sense. And I could get into it pretty heavily right now, but y'all probably wouldn't understand until we have some background on that. The good thing is about all these distri distributions, and most especially Ubuntu, you can purchase uh, uh, tech support for, for it. If you're uh, one of those people that needs to use that tech support line from time to time, you can purchase that. That is the only uh, cost associated with it. Uh, it's my understanding that they're currently selling it in some of the uh, some of the larger retail stores with, I think it's 60 days of tech support attached. That's the way I hear it. Um, I actually heard that from another podcast. I wish I could remember which one because I would definitely give credit. Um, but I was told that, um, or you know, in listening was told that Best Buy, and I'm not sure it's any of the other big box stores, but Best Buy for sure is selling the free version of Ubuntu, but what they're actually selling is 60 days worth of tech support, which should be enough to get you sort of uh, to start it up, get it installed, and get it to the point where it's actually running and, um, you know, where you can use it. If you need tech support beyond 60 days, you can continue to purchase it through Ubuntu, um, and they'll support it for as long as you need. But for 20 bucks, you get support for 60 days from Best Buy. If you don't need the support, you can, of course, download it for free and just go off on your merry way. And the company that provides tech support for uh, Ubuntu, y'all, uh, they are a pretty large company. Uh, the name of the company, uh, I believe, is Canonical. And Canonical is a pretty large, uh, large operation. So they're up to speed on their stuff and uh, will be able to help you out if tech support is something that you need to get things going. Uh, it's per very security minded distro. Uh, they make sure that they put things that will allow you to break the system in places that they're really hard to get to. So you have to know where they are, which is definitely a benefit with a lot of the people that I install software for, uh, when they end up getting viruses and stuff, it installs way quicker way quicker than windows i can do an ubuntu install 
on one of my machines in probably less than an hour most times. And I have sat and waited for days for Windows to install. Of course, that was back when it was on floppy disk. Even now, though, on CD drive, last time I installed Copy XP, it took me probably six or eight hours to get it installed. What else have we got on Ubuntu? Um, I'm not sure what else there is to say about Ubuntu until we sort of really start digging down into Linux applications and stuff and telling people how to actually burn these things. But we can say that you can get Ubuntu from uh, www.ubuntu.com. Pretty straightforward. We've been kind of rambling on here a bit. Maybe we should take another little break here and give people a chance to go get a drink of water or something and uh, come back to it. Well, you know what? Let me say one more thing about Ubuntu, and we'll go ahead and take a break because we still have a couple more distributions we want to go over before we shut things down for the evening. Uh, as far as Ubuntu is concerned, one of the major advantages of Ubuntu is that uh, out of the box, you can, you can download it with uh, the proper front end, the user in proper uh, GUI interface uh, involved. And if you download Ubuntu, you're going to get the GNOME GUI interface or front end. Um, and that is uh, for you Apple guys coming over from Apple, that's probably going to be the best option for y'all. Uh, in the case of uh, the folks coming over from Windows, you might want to download a variant which has a K on the front of it, Kubuntu, K-U-B-U-N-T-U, which has the KDE desktop on it, which is a lot more like Windows. But you know, Russ, I think you're right. I myself uh, am hearing a call from the other end of the house, so I think we'll take a short break and we'll be right back, y'all. back and refreshed uh, uh russ and i are ready to go again okay well we might as well uh since we're sort of on the topic of debian based distributions we'll talk about one more um called linux mint this one is kind of cool because it's um got a it's got a very slick looking interface it's still debian underneath the hood so all of the things that we've said about debian and ubuntu apply it's uh again very easy to install I believe Linux Mint comes with sort of the 3D desktop visualization stuff uh, built into it, like the Compass stuff, so you can get all that. Uh, I like Compass, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can get all that flashy 3D stuff that uh, people who have uh, 4 gigs of RAM and Windows Vista you know, Ultimate can get. Um, but it does all of that stuff for free, of course. Um, which is probably the coolest thing about it, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, I actually got my hands on a machine that had compass on it and was working right. And let me tell you, it, it'll do stuff that just its absolutely wonderful. I brought a couple of folks back in the radio room that uh, uh, have been run. All they've ever run is Windows, and I'm sitting there, and I'm flipping flipping across desktops and the cubes spinning and the windows are wobbling and everything else and they're losing their minds how do i get my hands on something like that i said well you're gonna have to get away from the evil empire one of the um i was doing a little research on linux mint and um the only thing i came up with it is that um it's sort of uh they've sort of focused on the the visualization they sort of made it slick glossy looking um, again, it's easy to install, um, lots of multimedia stuff built into it. And of course, um, you have access to all of the Debian based repositories. So installing all the ham radio software, you know, real simple. 
one thing that's kind of cool about Linux Mint is there's a lot of um, there's a lot of community support for it. There's a lot of interaction between the people who use it and the people who develop it. So if there's something that it's missing or something that you're having a problem with, um, it's real easy to get support for it. And it's also been well reviewed um, in the Linux community too, as uh, sort of an easy, easy to use, uh, easy to install Linux distribution. And I'll tell you right now, that's something we missed on Ubuntu. Uh, that guys that build the Linux software are very sensitive to what's going on with the users out there. If you uh, do find a problem or something like that and get in contact with them, they get on. They are johnny on spot to try and get stuff squared away um uh, both of them have forums that's one of the great things about i've found about using the linux operating system is that i can go over to uh the uh, community area the message boards for any distribution i'm using and i can get answers to my questions without somebody saying uh what is it rtfm I have had a hard time finding in the Windows community. But, yes, there's extensive developer and user interaction. They want to hear what you have to say. The things that you might be concerned about, like your wireless connectors working, your wireless uh, network connect adapters working, uh, multimedia, that kind of stuff, especially with Linux Mint, it is directly targeted to the people coming over from Windows and Apple. All right, and um, if you're interested in downloading Linux Mint, um, you can get it from, again, a very easily remembered website, www.linuxmint.com. We're going to kind of shift gears a little bit here. We're still going to talk about a Debian-based distribution, but all of the Debians we've talked about up till now have had GNOME as the desktop, sort of the default desktop, except for what you mentioned a second ago about uh, KUbuntu or Kubuntu which uses the KDE desktop. Now, there's a guy, a ham, AI9NL, um, named Harvey Nelson from Washburn, Wisconsin, who put together another uh, Linux-based distribution, or um, another distribution for ham radio users, um, sort of akin to the Digipup thing, but he actually used a Debian variant called Nopix, which was sort of one of the first distributions that came out that in the in the live CD format. It was one of the first sort of widely distributed um, live CDs to get people, and it was done that way to get people really interested in Linux, you know, so they could try it out without wiping out their systems and everything. I think that was one of the early complaints about Linux was it was harder to install and people didn't really understand it and they had to go through, you know, all kinds of gyrations if... Uh, their system blew up because they wiped out their Windows install and everything. So the live CD sort of took over, you know, took care of that issue. Well, yeah, and it, and that's something. There's a couple things we're going to have to talk about at the end of this segment uh, briefly. But yeah, live CDs and ISOs. Uh, but yes, Harv's Hamshack hack. Harv's, Harv's Hamshack hack. The thing you have to remember about the Hamshack hack is the last actual uh, update of it was in April of 2005. However, it uh, it uses the uh, Nopix Linux, which is extremely good at identifying hardware as it's loading. The distributions nowadays are getting better and better with it, but back in the early 90s, 90s, 2005, back in the early in around 2005 and stuff, it some of them didn't identify hardware so well, but Nopix was really good at that. And you can give it a test drive. You know, it's my understanding it'll run on a, a 486 or later with 16 megs of RAM. And if it's running graphical, it'll run on 96 megs of RAM. And it's bootable from your CD-ROM. So you plug it in, run it. It doesn't touch your system otherwise. And the some of the stuff that's on there, uh, you'll find simple stuff like... Uh, copies of radiograms and CW abbreviations, but you'll also find uh, there, if I remember correctly, there's a slow scan television program in there. There's a, a PSK 31 program in there. There's one in there for Echo Link. Some things that you can you can test drive. You're probably not going to be able to save your data and use it on a regular basis, and I really haven't tried that. As far as an all-around test drive, Harv's Hamshack Hack by AI9NL, Harvey up in uh, Wisconsin. Y'all should really give it a shot. 
Yeah, it's definitely a nice just to kind of play around with. Um, both of the, you know, all of the live CD distributions are great just for running a quick test drive. And uh, one of the cool things about Harv's Hamshack hack is that he just sort of puts all of the applications you're going to need right there on the desktop and they're ready to go um, from your PSK to your logging applications to even configuring the sound card. And there was one thing I was going to mention back uh, way early on when we were talking about Digipup was that I thought was kind of cool is that um, the distribution's actually set up so that the clock is set to UTC, which is something that um, you know may you may not even think about really when you're starting up a distribution. But when you start your logging application under Digipup, um, you're already logging uh, you, you know Zulu time, so that's kind of cool. Oh yeah. That's always helpful because, you know, I've missed one or two QSL cards simply by not having the right time on them and, uh, or had to resend them. Plus it runs on an older version of KDE, uh, the KDE desktop, the one that's more like the windows, uh, desktop. So, I mean, we're in KDE, I think four now, and I believe it runs on 3.4, 3.5, but all of these in the live CD format are usable. So here in a minute, we're probably going to have to do some definitions for y'all. <laughs> yeah, the glossary will come at the end, right? Well, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, is that pretty much it? Well, I mean, there, you know, there's a thousand Linux distributions out there, and we obviously can't talk about all of them. Uh, that, I think that's a good overview of ones that you can install and pick the software you want to use. Uh, things like Linux, Mint, and Ubuntu, and the ones that sort of come all ready to go in live CD format, like uh, Harv's Hamshack, Hack, and uh, Digipop. So uh, one thing we're saying is y'all go out and use what, one thing. We are not telling you you have to use this. You know, it's your your equipment. You do what you want. These are going to be the easiest ones to set up for the most part. I mean, if you want to run Fedora or CentOS or uh, Mandriva or Seuss, Susa, whatever the heck it is, that German one, uh, you know, y'all can go out and do that. It's going to be a little more difficult to set up some of this software because uh, you're going to have to go find it, download it, compile it, and, and then run it. Uh, what we're shooting for here is being able to pull some of the so most of the software we talk about out of the repositories. So let me throw a little, a couple of definitions at y'all. Software repositories are a place on the web for each distribution where they keep software, and you're able to download that software without having to go hunt it down. Live CD, live CD is plug and play. You stick it in the tray, you plug it in, you start your computer, you boot off of it, and you're running the distribution. Okay, an ISO is simply a disk image. It's the image that uh, on the on the CD that allows you to plug and play that live CD. And as far as burning an image, if you have any software that you use to burn audio CDs, it probably has a tool in there for burning a ISO or CD image to a CD. So those of y'all that have higher speed connections, DSL and up, Y'all can download this stuff, download any version you want, play with it. And uh, I myself have played with most of the big ones. I really haven't played with small ones much. Uh, back to uh, Debian, um, true Debian for a second. They have a what's called a net install ISO, which is a very small footprint download. Um, I believe the last one I tried to download was about 150 megs or so. Not super small, but not super big either. And the way these things work is you can install a very minimal installation of Debian on your system using this thing based on just the packages that come on the CD, which is mostly just the installer drivers and a few basic things to get your system up and running. But if you happen to have a live connection to the internet, like through a DSL modem or a cable modem or even a mo you know, just a regular analog modem, although I don't think I would recommend that. You can actually download and install an entire system, including the ham radio things and the X server for your graphical desktop and GNOME and all the applications you need straight from the internet using your high speed, you know, your broadband internet connection, 
even though you only downloaded 150 megs and burned that to a disk. Um, as far as a couple of applications to burn, if you're using Windows, you can use stuff like you can use stuff like Nero or Magic ISO, things like that, to burn the ISO images onto a, a CD or in some cases a DVD if you're using a distribution like FedoraCore. Um, and um, there was something else I was going to say about that, but I can't remember what it is. If you do decide to go with Debian, you definitely want to use the network install because the last time I downloaded a copy of it, it was eight CDs or one DVD to get all of it. So definitely, if you got a if you got a high speed connection, download that net install. It'll go on one CD, plug it in, get everything set up, and uh, get it the way you want it, and then push the button, and then I don't know, go watch a movie. Yeah, and the installer, you know, one thing that I've found is sort of universally true is that the installation process for Linux, at least um, lately, um, is far less painful than dealing with Windows. Windows wants you to click on stuff every five minutes, you know, while it's doing stuff. Linux, after about, you know, after about six questions where you get set up and outline your disk partitions and everything, it just sort of goes off and it's done. You don't have to worry about it. When I was using SUSE back, uh, I guess version nine, maybe 10. If you, uh, if you walked away, you got it loading what you wanted it to, got it setting up the way you wanted it to set up and you click the mouse and it started downloading. You could be guaranteed that you needed to go watch a movie, maybe eat dinner, take a walk around the block, go visit your relatives and that kind of stuff and come back. And then it might almost be finished. Uh, that's one of the reasons we're shooting towards these uh, live CDs for y'all because they are way easier as far as installation. Well, I actually came around to, while you were talking, the thing I was I trailed off on earlier that I finally remembered. I was talking about the uh, Windows applications you can use to burn CDs, and I didn't come back to the Linux applications. So if you already have uh, or you know somebody who's got uh, access to a Linux machine, you can use something like... Um, uh, CD, you know, CD Toast for um, the graphical type version, or you can just use CD Record from the command line. And burning an ISO from Linux is actually very easily, uh, very easily done. It's usually just a matter of typing CD Record name of the ISO, and it it goes and does it. You know, it's even uh, just as easy as the sort of point and click interfaces you might get from Nero or or some of the other Windows applications. Well, I'm kind of partial to Gnome Baker myself, but yeah, there are quite a few. Like I said, definitely anything in Linux that you can burn an audio CD with, you'll be able to uh, burn an image to disk. I think, uh, Russ, I think we need to take a vote right now. I think you and I need to start a start a page over at the website where we do some definitions on some of this stuff so these guys can go look it up. That was sort of my plan for the show notes was basically putting everything that we sort of talk about that needs clarification or if we have a website or something like that because you know how fun it is to type, you know, to say things like HTTP colon colon, you know, blah, 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 <laughs> you know, well, so we can put all that stuff in there. Well, that's what that's where I was going. I figure you'll, you'll get it taken care of. You, you're the webmaster. Like I said, uh, you the Linux guy, Linux guy and you the ham guy and I'm just here because I got lucky. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I'm not sure I'm going to agree with that, but I won't I won't correct you right now. Well, don't because they're still my haters, not yours. <laughs> now, you see we we haven't gotten the hate mail yet. I think we're still working on it, right? We're building up, right? Uh, we will get it after that uh, Ubuntu conversation at the beginning of the show. <laughs> 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 okay well if we're uh, i guess we're done with that so now we come to the part of part of the program that we call pimping the music we were talking before we got started this evening that we wanted to talk about the music the uh gentleman that's furnishing the music for the podcast um i believe well you know more about it than i do russ go <laughs> Well, um, okay, I'm not sure what you want me to say about it, but Dave is a guy I met, um, uh, well, actually, he was a co-worker of mine back in another life when I lived uh, up in New England. Back then, I didn't actually know he was a musician. <laughs> I didn't find that out until after I left, and it sort of came across the wire, 
it just so happens that I, you know, sort of begged him one day to, uh, you know, please, can you help us out and give us some fresh music for a podcast, you know, and he really jumped on it. He was more than happy to, you know, kind of, uh, sit down in the studio and put something together for us. And I can't, I'm, I couldn't be happier. It, it came out fantastic as far as I can see. And it sounds like it's kind of growing on you. Oh, it's definitely growing on me. Uh, I went over and listened to a bunch of his stuff this evening, and I'll tell you what, uh, you know, everybody that listens to the other podcasts, they know that I'm a, I really like the blues. We, we're, uh, we got a bluesy kind of thing going on down in this area, but, uh, well, you can't help it when you've had the God of blues, uh, grow up probably 10 miles away. But, uh, let me tell you, it is really growing on me and I want y'all to know y'all need to go check this stuff out. His, his, his CDs are not really expensive and, uh, there's a lot of good music on there. Of course, uh, most of it sounds an awful lot like Pink Floyd and some of the stuff I listened to when I was growing up. So I can't help but get hooked. <laughs> well, um, yeah. And I, I definitely want to thank Dave for uh, putting the stuff together for us because it's really good. And I think it, it goes well with what we're doing here and uh it's a great lead in and a great lead out and uh if you if anyone who's listening wants to hear more of his stuff um his his group um is called Gamma Leonis and you can find him on the web at www.gammaleonis.com Gamma Leonis like uh you know the stars in the constellation so um and I'll I'll dump that in the show notes too just so I don't have to keep saying it over and over again and for those of y'all whose language and skills are not as good, not uh, real good like mine, uh, I had to go look up how to spell it. Uh, G-A-M-M-A-L-E-O-N-I-S, Gamma Leonis, one word, y'all go check them out. Okay, that's pretty much all I have for this particular episode. How about you, Russ? Uh, that's all I've got. And I think, um, we went way longer than I was thinking we were going to go, but that's a good thing. It means we have stuff to talk about and I'm sure we've given ourselves the next 17 topics and we just don't realize it yet. Well, there you go. And then we'll be waiting for that input from y'all feedback, feedback, feedback. It's like I'm saying over at uh, other places, the website, the other podcast, everything else, send that feedback. We're feedback driven. And speaking of that, uh, y'all go ahead. If y'all want to send an email to, uh, Linux and ham shack, y'all go ahead and send one to KB five JBV at black KB five JBV at black Right now, Russ's email is not working uh, correctly over at black sparrow uh but we're gonna we're gonna try and get that squared away but uh it's even better to use the forums i find that uh, more and more people want to use the forums and leave us a, a feedback as far as the other show and uh if that's easy or you can leave a comment on the website we uh, check that daily so we we know when they come in we appreciate each and every one Yep, I definitely want to say that I'm I'm doing you know as much work as I can getting the website up and getting uh, things rolling with that, and I think it's come out pretty good. And I definitely enjoy it when people leave comments because it's um, we like to publish them because I like to read them, and I and I know that other people who come to the website like to read them too. And it's always good to have comments on posts because they're you know they're fun to read, and it means that somebody's out there listening and cares enough to, you know, tell us what's going on, tell us what they think and where we should go from here. So and um, I want everybody, I want everybody within the sound of my voice to make sure you go over and leave a comment about how wonderful the site looks because that's all Russ. He did every bit of that. And, uh, I tell you what, it, it's fantastic. Fantastic. With that, everybody, we'll go ahead and, uh, we'll see y'all in about two weeks and, uh, Y'all make sure to download us. Tell it, tell your friends about us. I'm Russ K5TUX. And I'm Richard KB5JBV uh, from a disclosed location in Balt Springs, Texas. We'll see y'all next time, everybody. Y'all be careful.